All right, this is the Artenders with Mac and Danny. We're playing a game called How Dare You. First person to say How Dare You loses. Danny, Marlins can suck a dick. <laughs> you no, are no. such a... <laughs> yeah, no, straight for the heart. I'm straight so for the heart. Go ahead. I'm defeated. Are you going to say it? How dare you. Are you big? Welcome to the Art Tenders. This is Daniel Lavelle. I'm joined by my just awful co-host, Mac Welch. And <laughs> we do this podcast every week to um, discuss, learn, and, you know, take something away as artists. And I know I always, you know, change up that a little bit, you know, keeping it fresh, keeping it new. But more importantly, Mac Welch this week had a very interesting pick. So the past couple of times we've, we've usually done movies, but this time... He wanted to go a little bit balls off the wall, as they say, Mac. Yeah, so so this was uh this was actually picked by my uh my younger brother, um or suggested, uh huh. because he was like, hey, I was I was looking through a couple of Black Lives Matter playlists, um just because there's some crazy good stuff on there, and one of the songs that popped up was uh was a little song called Alabama by John Coltrane, and he was like, and I think there's a lot more history than that. To that than you think so you guys should cover it and see what comes out of it and boy did we oh my gosh it's 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 wild it goes so deep and you don't and you don't really get the sense of history when you first listen to it like you can tell like it's an amazing song but like it yeah of course it just being instrumental it doesn't it's hard for it to necessarily say a lot just on its own right um when like it's it's not serving you the message on a silver platter, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, it, the, 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 there is a lot of context needed, um, and the biggest context being that within a week of the um, there, there there was a uh, Alabama shooting um, in Birmingham um, that Martin Luther King Jr. gave the eulogy at, and it was uh, a bombing of a church with four little girls in it, um, and all of them died, and. So Martin Luther King Jr. gave the eulogy, right? And then John Coltrane came in directly after he did the eulogy, the and after he heard the recording of the eulogy, and he made the song Alabama. Now it is rumored, and it makes total sense that the uh, the melody of John Coltrane's Alabama is to the same cadence um, as the eulogy that Martin Luther King Jr. gave for those four little girls after the bombing, mm-hmm. which is. I'm just so interesting to me. Um, there was an edit that you had sent me and that I had just watched, and it kind of puts the song and the eulogy just like right on top of one another. Yeah. And like I, I, I'll admit I haven't listened to the complete eulogy, but it seemed like the parts, the the pieces that um, uh, whoever did this on YouTube like cut cut together. Uh, Steve Rowland uh, cut together. Yeah, you can really hear it. And at least when I was even just hearing the song a bunch and then just listening um to the eulogy a little bit afterwards, I was it was as if like I was just still hearing the song but just through the words. Like if if this song had lyrics, the lyrics would be 
this eulogy? Yeah, so this song is dedicated to Addie Mae Collins, Carol Denise McNair, Cynthia Diane Wesley, and Carol Robertson, who are the four little girls involved in the bombing. These children, unoffending, innocent, and beautiful, were the victims of one of the most vicious and tragic crimes ever perpetrated against humanity. The death of these little children may lead our whole Southland. So, uh, b- branching off of that, d- diving deep in very, very quick, is really two ways that we can talk about this, two lenses that we can put on this discussion. Um, and I think that we should maybe give attention to both, which is the... Uh, vessel of music in in terms of this message in terms of the things that he's trying to do why pick music why pick jazz music why right. pick the instruments that he did and like actually pick apart the music right. aspect of it um and then the other one is mm-hmm. talking about protest music um i think that's something that, that that i've been thinking about a lot recently just with all the protests that are going on and 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 and, and hearing music and dance and mm-hmm. chants at all the protests and where that comes from, where the influence comes from, things like that. Um, so w- w- which one do you find mm-hmm. most intriguing right off the bat? I, okay. So <laughs> I can't say much, really much of anything about the, you know, the music matter. I've always been one to appreciate and love and adore music, but I've never been one to fully understand music. Um, now, but we can, I mean, we can discuss that, but first I, I, I do want to touch on the fact of, this, I don't want to say idea, but that's the only word that's coming to mind. This idea of of protest music or music mm-hmm. in in commemoration to to something of this matter, and and um, the vibe now, mind you, like perhaps they had something different in mind, and this was in the sixties. Uh, the year was sixty three when the bombing, and then a few months after this mm-hmm. song, uh, premiered. Uh, on a television show, but yeah, um, so I don't know if it was specifically meant like the idea of making it quote unquote like protest. At the very least, it's it's eulogizing um these four girls, right? Um, much like MLK was, yeah. but implementing this song as a protest, uh, I'm not sure if it was like I'm I like I mean, listen, I'm kind of talking out of my ass here so but not entirely sure if it was used as quote-unquote protest music back in the day but having it be used as a sort of protest music today is is to me is kind of electric i don't i don't know how you feel about that yeah well well i told that's such a good adjective danny i totally agree there's something really interesting that's been happening more and more recently because there's uh there's always been in history um, protest music, especially especially in America. America's been obsessed with protesting, right. and it's been obsessed with music, and it's been obsessed with protest, mu- protest music. I would go so far as to say as, like, the Pledge of Allegiance is this sort of, like, protest. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And and all the songs that came from um, America pre-American Revolution are just protest songs against the British. It, 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 yeah. we, we, were, we were founded in protest, and we, and we were also founded in protest music. 
But a lot of protest music that we that 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 is known that's used is used as either a source of pride or a source of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, but very rarely is protest coming from a place of grief, you know. Yeah. And this song is definitely coming from a place of grief. I mean, just the topic of the song, but also the way that it, the 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 way that it weighs on you, the way this 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 the song moves. It does move very slowly, but also like. The hook, the, the the consistent thing that they're using in the song is this progression that uh-huh. um, de-escalates. It just keeps going um, down the scale. And what's so interesting about and it uses jazz scale, but, but right. what's so interesting about it is that it never bounces back up. And it keeps tricking you into thinking that it's going to bounce back up, but it never does. Yeah. I The, the song does have this like cold open you know and it's it's beautiful but in this very much so melancholic way and and it never gets into this like happy tone i would say this the the song picks up in a sort of more hopeful uh kind of idea um when the other instruments are really starting to like come into the song um but there's never a sense of joy you know even whenever they do it's chaotic um, mm-hmm. it's, it's instant chaos. It is, uh, all of them are moving rapidly out of succession. And I think that's where the protest comes from. Uh, I think that's where mm-hmm. the action, the call to action comes from. And, 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 and it kind of mirrors yeah. in the MLK eulogy as well, um, that he start that he makes it pretty much 90% about these girls and then, mm-hmm. and then kind of wraps it up with a, all right, let's keep fighting the good fight. Um, th- yeah. There was th- there was also. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm just I I'm just listening. Sorry, I was listening intently. I uh, <laughs> with a face I, that uh, said. Oh, I understand. Oh, oh. Yes, for those for those who can't see, which is you know everyone except the uh, us two. Um, but I looked. <laughs> it looked as if I was about to say something, but I really wasn't. I was just intently listening <laughs> to what Mac had to say. <laughs> I'm glad. Um. One thing that I found, because I, because I out out of doing like like listening to lectures and doing some doing some research on this topic, mm-hmm. there was something super interesting that I found on protest yeah. stuff in specific. There were a couple that were surrounding it, but the but the guy that really got to the heart of the matter um, was this guy named uh, Dr. Robert Zator from McGill University. Okay, and he was talking about music and its relation to brain waves. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but get this, it's so freaking cool. So. Okay. Um, the same part of the brain that we use to perceive and create rhythm is the same part, is the exact same part of the brain that is used to control motor skills, okay. like moving your body. Right. So there is there is 0% difference between the part of your brain that hears and says the chant and that exact same part of the brain is used to move your body. So it, there is a... Before, like, culture even comes into the mix, there's a biological connection between music and chants and cadence and protest. Isn't that so cool? Is that, I mean, is that essentially, like, the reason why, like, every time we hear, like, a really catchy song or something, we, like, tap our feet yeah. or, like, bob our head? Like, is that the idea behind exactly. that? Exactly. And it's not like it's something that we learn to do. It's something that's always been there because... And it's not even like, oh, man, we were just born to dance or whatever the fuck. It's like literally the yeah. same part of the brain 
is is being used so obviously you, you're you're inclined to move that that, ma- that makes a lot of sense I, oh yeah it, it makes me think about how um when i think about dance um for example there is this sort of um embodiment where sometimes words cannot do the trick um, totally agree. so we we are, we are left with something that is you know without words when denotations and connotations cannot give the proper meaning to what we want or what we need to say. Um, and I think that definitely kind of what you've been saying, like it definitely rings true more so with this song that yeah. having it, not only this rhythm of expression, like um, change us in this like subtle way with, you know, how, how we, how we treat it in our minds, but also having this song represent and be something that words cannot explain mm-hmm. and y- you know what that is a perfect segue into the next part and, I, and it might be premature but i'm gonna go ahead and jump i'm gonna go ahead and jump into the next part is that okay all right yeah go ahead okay another study the other main study that i really liked that i was like just super hooked into was uh had to do with exactly what you were just saying which is mm-hmm. sometimes Words don't do the trick. Um, sometimes it is dance. Yeah. Um, and so something that I that I kept coming back to is he was trying to uh, send the same message that MLK was sending. Um, something right. with grief that ends in a call to action. Why did he pick music? Why was music one of the most... And, and, and why are there playlists now of, of protest songs? Why do all these musicians decide that mm. their form and why does everyone else agree that their form is one of the most effective forms of protest right i, I mean the obvious answer was that uh john john coltrane is a musician and he, well, yeah yeah <laughs> <That's> the- <laughs> but like, wh- why does why does everyone listen to this song why does everyone listen to uh, all, all the all these all protest songs throughout all history i mean fucking yankee doodle dandy and like this land is your land and like all, all these protest I- songs I never really like. I guess you're asking this question, and it's making me realize that I never really thought much about how much of a unifying force music really is. Fuck yeah! You know, like why we make these playlists to to share, um, this sort of thing. That I mean, yeah, I I never really thought about that. You know? Yeah, we're right. So, and and what I'm interested in is like the biological level. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. what inside of us inherently not like something that's like kind of like it kind of exposes to some people or like it just like speaks to me as a person because i because emotion is great but that's not really something that we can get a grasp on something that we can get a grasp on is the things that that actually connect every single human being on the planet like brain studies which is so freaking interesting to me (laughs) so the other big study right was a guy named john iverson from ucsd Mm -hmm. um which is which is a great theater and film school as well and it's about music and growth, like with and, okay. and, and and learning. Right. And I found three main things. Right. The first one is people exposed to music don't learn faster necessarily, but one hundred percent of the time, one hundred percent of the time, they learn more consistently and at a more linear rate. The second thing is that people exposed to music have one hundred percent of the time heightened language perception. They can learn languages faster, and they can also understand heightened text 
at a faster rate. Mm -hmm. And the third thing, and this is probably the coolest one, and this is the exact reason I think why it's such a big deal, is there's a direct correlation between listening to music and the reception of new concepts. In the study, that they used math, but the new math mm -hmm. concepts and, and, and the way that they perceived it is the same part of the brain that lights up whenever someone is learning a new political or philosophical concept. Huh. Wild, right? Inter when, uh, did you find out when the study was conducted? That one was um, in the past 10 years. I can't remember where it was, but the place that I found it has only been around since for the past 10-ish years. So I, I can actually look that up real quick. We're going to go ahead and uh, um, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more when we come back about about protest music because it gets freaking crazy. Um, but a uh, quick word from our sponsor, first of all. Welcome back to The Art Tenders. Danny Lavelle, once again, joined by Mac Welch. And we left the first part kind of teasing a little bit about talking about protest music um, and how... I guess the idea is that how can music be used as protest and and what it can sort of represent for a movement or for an idea. And we did talk briefly in the first part about how this song, Alabama, by John Coltrane, is in and of itself a protest protest song. And maybe it wasn't necessarily intended to be protest per se uh, almost 60 years ago now, but it's finding usage nowadays as a sort of uh, protest or being part of this um, Black Lives Matter movement. So, uh, what what is? I have no idea what even to ask. <laughs> but I'm just I'm just more fascinated by how the song has sort of aged so incredibly well and how it's transcended time. That's that's a that's a great point. Um, it has really aged well, and I think something that's interesting to take a look at. Well, first of all, there there have been, I mean, so many freaking, pro like, some of the best protest songs of all time weren't mm -hmm. written to be protest songs. Like, half of Bob Dylan's songs were turned into protest songs, and he kept trying to be like, no, they're not protest songs. I don't want them to be protest songs. But they were. They kept being protest songs. Mm -hmm. Or songs that don't really sound like protest songs, like this one, um, have turned into protest songs because they mean so much more. Because at the end of yeah. the day, this song it wasn't written to necessarily say uh like y mm -hmm. y like let's go out and protest let's go out and 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 yeah. fight the man because there are songs like that but this one's not that one but technically like, at, at the most literal level this song is about there were four black girls in a church someone bombed them they died it was mm -hmm. a, a an act of racial hate at the most literal level black lives matter these four Black Lives Matter, so and and I mean that's what 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 better song than that? You know what I mean? But also, uh, I think it's interesting to take a look at the evolution of protest music, music as protest, because protest music and music as protest are quite different things. Right. Writing a song to 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 and using it to protest versus uh, having a song represent your protest yeah. are, are are different things for sure. But the concept of protest music is, mm -hmm. I mean, something that, that has been around since the beginning of human history, which, like, if you look at the first, like, instrument that we found, which wasn't the I first I mean, this, this is how blues started. Oh, my God. D d name, name a genre that that's not how it started, other than maybe, like, like soft <laughs> indie alternative rock. Um, yeah. All other brands of rock music, hip-hop and rap, 
fuck like please go listen to the uh, or, or or go watch the get down on netflix if that's all what it's all about the beginning of rap music and ciphers mm-hmm. and how it was all protest blues like you were saying jazz fuck even classical music but but this idea yeah this idea of self-expression and how that transcends in and of itself and becomes protest music and sometimes you know like we've been saying like it doesn't necessarily have to be uh originally portrayed as protest music but it's it's always fascinating to see how it goes above and beyond that and it it makes me think about like this is not like music and how we listen to music and how we show music it's it's not the only medium that um we find opportunities for it to like it has this message and the message sort of sort of spins um and it sort of becomes something else and and majority of the time for the better it makes me think about i mean like how many times we've seen or read um uh, or done sh- like sh- i mean at the very base level shakespeare plays right and yeah. the, like for example let's let's talk about macbeth i mean yeah something as simple as a narrative as macbeth sometimes yeah. macbeth you know, when you see one production, it has to do uh, with fate. Uh, another production has to do with the sort of tag teamingness uh, and the cooperation yeah. of marriage. Perhaps one version of Macbeth is about brotherhood. So it's it's one of these things that it's not necessarily any of those things, but it's not not those things. And so I think this song is a beautiful and wonderful example, of course where it doesn't have to be this but it totally is uh a sign of protest and a sign of like wanting things for the better and you know even though like protest in, in like the connotation of that word it's like there's something strong about that word like there's something like when you hear the word protest the image that comes in my mind is like going out and like actively making or striving to make a change a big change um, and something that is is risk taking yeah. to to maybe your life. It is separation between an idea and physical action. Correct. Yeah, which is huge. Yeah, so it's 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 sweet, honestly, to 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 see the song be more than maybe Coltrane intended. And and I mean, like I know at all, you know, this is once again me talking out of my ass. But it's it's. The the song goes beyond just being a eulogy, right? That you were saying at the very very beginning how this song has also, I think probably I mean I'm sure back then too the song has become a vessel for something more. Yeah, and I think that's the I I would say probably one of the biggest compliments you can ever give a piece of art that it was totally something agree. and then it becomes something even greater. Oh man, I can't agree with you more. You're right on the fucking money, Danny. Yeah, there's 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 something really beautiful about that, and I'm so glad that this that this piece is has been given its respect. Yeah, and and like honestly, I mean, I've always heard of John Coltrane, but I've never listened to a lot of his stuff. And you sent me this song, and so I personally did not know this song, but hearing it for the first mm-hmm. time, it's this it's almost 60 years old and it is aged exceptionally well and it just reminds me of music that i listen to nowadays from more modern artists and it i mean you can just yeah. just sense the inspiration you know from from this sort of freeform jazz so here's a question do you think that if you were 
given like three different saxophone players, like legendary saxophone mm-hmm. players, masters of their craft, that you could yeah. tell which one was John Coltrane. Maybe I mean uh, maybe, but it's because because here, here's what I think about uh, is that his influence is so ingrained into music nowadays that like i was listening to this song and there was a part of me that i'm like i've i've heard this song before and in a a weird way right this sort of like style yeah that the song is striving for and so it's i mean it's hard to deny that influence so i mean i haven't listened to enough coltrane and enough other jazz artists from the time as well to like really pick out the difference between you know what they're doing with their saxophone yeah. um and how they're expressing themselves just you know vibing off of it you know right but like for instance like i think that if you gave me three trumpet players and told me that one of them was louis armstrong i'd probably be able to tell you which one was louis armstrong just because he has such a distinct voice and style mm-hmm. but but also just because he's learned how to turn his his voice in, into an instrument. Yeah. And so uh, let, let's 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 bring it to nowadays. Let's bring it to something that you do know well. Mm. Um what how do you pronounce it? Ma- Mount Fugitive? Mount Fugitive. Yeah. Wow, that's very specific. Uh so to explain yeah. Mount Fugitive is an a, instrumental yeah, artist. Yeah, a hip hop yeah. producer. Um not intensely popular, but like if you listen to that, you know, genre that kind of it's, it's kind of made up, but that genre of like lo-fi uh, hip hop that kind of harkens back to more uh, <laughs> right. 90s um, sort of like I would say late 90s, early 2000s instrumentation um, while it, it, it tries to like pick at the chords of like nostalgia is the idea of this uh, genre. But if you follow lo-fi music at all, then Mount Fugitive is a uh, good producer yeah. to know of. Do you think that if you heard three lo-fi hip-hop songs, that you would be able to tell me which one was Mount Fugitive? It's that's and I, it's not good podcast for me to not give a you know answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but you're um, thinking about it. Because he has. I mean, such I mean a I'm thinking about, it and like the the answer is maybe, um, <laughs> because right. because a, a lot a lot of lo-fi, and like if you're not that great of a hip hop producer, um, it can sound really samey. You know, it doesn't sound distinct, right? What where like something? I think a good example for me that I can harken back to is uh how. Kanye West used to produce his music in the early 2000s for like his first three albums. There is such a distinct um, sort of palette that he uses um, that that is difficult for me to s- describe. The best way I can describe it is that he uses samples a lot, um, and it's this sort of like fun style that's enriching in terms of like actual musicality. God knows, I can't describe it, but. But if you listen to enough, you're like, huh, this sounds like something like Kanye would do yeah. in the early 2000s. You know, it's it's that sort of Good style. So I think Mount, <laughs> Mount Fujinif has a little bit of a style, but it's so many artists in that in the lo-fi genre don't have don't have like a distinct voice, I would say. And mm-hmm. and and so now bringing it back yeah. to yeah. Alabama. It's just you hear the first few notes, and maybe 
if you weren't really like actively paying attention to the song and let's say you were just like in a jazz club and and somebody just either this song plays on the speakers or there's a live performer and they start playing the song and maybe you're not actively listening and and so sure like it could be just in the background right but if you were to actively listen to this song and you sit down and you pull this song up and you say to yourself I am listening to the song right now I'm intent on hearing the the five-ish give or take minutes of this song the voice is so distinct yeah, yeah I, I only bring that up because there is something that is um, specific about his style and, and, and about his voice uh, in this song and all the musicians that are involved in the song. Um, and to think that this is only just one song, you know? Yeah, yeah, we've only been talking about one freaking song. That's crazy. That's crazy that, that, that a song can be that successful. And that and, and we're not and we're not talking success in a sort of commercial point of view. We're talking success on like what's trying to be said and what's getting across. So at least for me, like I listened to the song first and then I looked into a little bit of the history of the song and just read something very briefly on it. But it was so clear, like I said, listening to the beginning, it's this sort of mellow tone and it it, it picks back up in, in, in order to be something hopeful. And without having read any sort of history behind the song, it, it was so irrevocably clear yeah that that was this at the very bare minimum the sort of intention or at least like what felt like coltrane was going for and how he was embodying himself through his instrument and there's and there's also something of, of exactly what you're saying like that that um even without history without context without text there's something that's very simple and relatable about it and 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 that's there's there's a history of simplicity in protest songs and in uh, songs that have been written to make a social change. Um, I mean, g- going going back to the, the beginning of the American mm-hmm. protest song, uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy, like I was talking about. Um, and then we go on to, to um, mm-hmm. like, after World War II, whenever the radio comes around, folk music, with Sam's your land. Um, and then what's super interesting is that there's just, like, uh, what, what, what's that song, War? from What is it good Vietnam for? War? What is it good for? Absolutely, absolutely nothing, nothing. Absolutely fucking nothing. And um, and what's interesting is is that after this is an interesting little little history tidbit. Protest music was super popular and and was consistent, consistently being made, and was the thing that was driving music culture. Everyone and and I think that's also a little bit of where people uh, mm-hmm. that that's kind of part of the roots of like the the history of white people stealing black culture like how everyone talks about that um it it, it a little bit comes from people get obsessed with protest music and then that's the thing mm-hmm. that leads the culture into the next thing but there was kind of a halt after 911 cuz everyone was like oh i kind of feel patriotic all of a sudden i don't really want to protest right now and then you know what the one fucking song was that brought back protest music it's the funniest shit what song i promise you know it I, I'm sure I do. The, the way that you're just sort I'll of give you, dangling this carrot in the air. I'll give you the first line. You finish. Yeah, let's see if you can finish it. Okay. Don't want to be an. Sorry. Oh. What? Don't want to be an American what? idiot. Oh. Oh. By okay. By yeah. I, I okay. So once again, show thanks. You just really just you know busted my chops here. <laughs> 
I'm sorry I'm that I've hardly to. listened to Green Day. I mean, no, no, no. I don't expect, but I know you know the song because everyone knows the song. I um, know. Yeah, I mean, yes. I just think it's very funny to think that Green Day saved protest music. That's the funniest shit in my mind. But <laughs> just yeah, but let's put that in print. You know, just you know, right on the front page of the newspaper. Green, Green Day, Day saves protest saved music. Protest music. Yes. <laughs> well, that'll be the name of this episode. Oh, Not John yeah, Coltrane's Alabama. Yeah, no, let's, Green let's Day just saved take a complete 180. You know, let's talk about John Coltrane. And instead, you know what? Forget John Coltrane. Let's talk about Green Day. Right. Black Lives Matter, Billy Joel. Um, or Billy, Billy Joel Armstrong. What's his name? Why are you asking me? Why are you asking me? I can't you remember can't the guy's name. You can't put me in this position. Name. You cannot I, put well, me in this position. This time neither of us know, Danny. This time neither of us know. But oh, right. this little history lesson is, I think, a good segue into Slice of the Week. Sure. Sweet. Um, this week's Slice of the Week is mine. It's the segment of the show where Danny and I convince ourselves that our music taste is good enough to force onto people. Um, as always. <laughs> um, this song that I'm picking is something that I know that just everyone has probably already heard, but I think that you should go and give it another listen right now because it's especially pertinent and uh, a really interesting study, a really interesting uh, song. Mm. Um, it was a song that kicked off the Black Lives Matter movement in the Obama administration. Um, it was the song that uh, uh, really launched this person's career and is now one of the most formative music artists of, of all time and uh, defining of our generation. Uh, and that is All Right by Kendrick Lamar. So, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Kickstarted his career. Not kickstarted, but like, but launched him into superstardom. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take <laughs> it wasn't like that was the first Kendrick Lamar. Oh, I was about to say, like, kickstarted his career. Like, have you, like, his first album is incredible. Absolutely. It's absolutely fantastic. You know, like, but uh, it's a thing that launched him into mainstream household success. Yeah, yeah no, it, it, it helped. It helped. <laughs> if, if that, if that, if this, if. The second album didn't do anything. Then, then yes. Okay. So this, so you gotta go listen to "All Right" by Kendrick Lamar. Anything else, Danny? Uh, no. I I just want to have some closing comments on John Coltrane's "Alabama." Absolutely. That as a song on its own, I don't know much about music, but I feel safe in saying that it's an absolute masterpiece. And Agreed. not only is it a beautiful song, just just based on its own. But it holds up incredibly well to not only as a just a, as a song today, um, but also what this song is trying to do and what the song is trying to say. And it it's disappointing um, that this is still such a big issue today. Um, and just saying Black Lives Matter is a sort of hot take for so many Americans, which is absolutely absurd and disgusting, in my opinion. But how at least this song can be beautiful and at least this song can still say something now and how um it can be still important to what so many um people in this country are trying to say it is a i agree it is is it is an absolute masterpiece because it is one of the very few things one of the very few pieces that comes from an emotional place as well as a logical place. Every single, every single inch of this song is decided, and it is decided by several people. 
decided by masters of the craft and decided with um, an, an, an emotional value. Um, and the more you listen to it, the more you can hear that. Absolutely. It's beautiful. And that's saying the absolute least regarding this piece of media. Um, so... With that being yeah. said, and 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 also I want I want to nail the fact that so many times like you pull up a jazz song and it's like a freeform jazz song and it's like 12 13 minutes and this song is like 5 minutes. It is surprisingly and incredibly that's... succinct and it just nails every single second. It when it comes to yeah. efficiency, this is a jazz song for you. It's it is an opening and closing paragraph, that's for sure. And and there's um and it, that depends on which version you listen to. There's a five minute version, and then there's yeah. also like that, like a two and a half minute version on Spotify. It's crazy. Yeah. So, but um, it, it's it's hard to forget this song, and in all the right ways. And you shouldn't forget this song once you listen to it. Yes. So. So. What? Yes. Are I. Are we reviewing next week? Next week. We will be, uh, after we have watched it, we will be discussing the 2016 documentary instead of a movie. Originally, I was going to pick a movie, but then right when we started the show today, a different idea came to my mind. We're going to watch a 2016 documentary titled I Am Not Your Negro. Okay. Um, and it is based on the uh, author James Baldwin's unfinished manuscript of Remember This House. Interesting. Okay. Can do. So I I do not know much about James Baldwin, but I I've seen a few videos on him, and I have a book of his that I'm just I'm I think it's a yeah it's titled Go Tell It on the Mountain. I'm just I'm trying to read it here and there, but this is a documentary that, from what I could tell, is absolutely worth seeing, especially now. Okay, sweet. So uh, next week next week we're 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 hitting that up. All right. All right. Anything else? That'll be it. Thank you guys so much.